The following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. And uh, pick up a Bible, which hopefully there's one near you. Turn to page 1144. And uh, we started last week a series, a new series in 1 Corinthians, the beginning of 1 Corinthians. We've got our second part of 1 Corinthians now. James Bunyan, uh, curate here at St. Michael's, is going to come and preach in a few moments. But first, Margaret is going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 10 to 17. Margaret, over to you. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you perfectly un- be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some of there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say, you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Evening, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Very good. Ollie's good. Uh, very good. Everyone else good? Terrific. Brilliant. Good to see you. My name's James. As I said, I'm the curate here and uh, help out with five o'clock. And it's brilliant to see you this evening as we go for the second time into 1 Corinthians, a fantastic book for lots of reasons. I mean, here's a church that's got all kinds of problems. <laughs> and that's always fascinating to see, isn't it? To lift the lid on that and to watch somebody else get told off. Uh, but also because we see so clearly the message of Jesus, the message that the church should always be about. And by God's grace, we'll always be about. And that's the message uh, that we love to do each week and that hopefully we'll do tonight. And you'll see on your handout that's coming around three ideas, all beginning with P. The plea, the problem, the power. So that's where we're going. The plea, the problem, and the power. So let's start off with the plea. And the plea is this. Be perfectly united. Be perfectly united. Starts off there, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. This is a big plea. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We kind of miss the weight of that, but you know, imagine a hundred years ago a policeman might shout, Stop in the name of the law. You know, if you respect the law, you will do as I say. And that's what Paul's saying. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's pulling out the big guns. It's like, seriously now? The plea. Seriously. And actually, this is the thing he kind of starts his letter with. He always does a little kind of, this is who I am. I'm Paul. I'm with my friends. He says, to you guys, this is what you're like. And he does that in verse 3. Then he always does a prayer, verse 4 to 9. 
helpful to see, though. If you want to open your Bibles, that's, that's a great thing to do, but otherwise you can carry it listening along. But I'll keep referring down. 49, he's like, this is what I pray for you. And then he gets into the, the kind of nitty-gritty. And the first thing he opens with is this plea. It's a big deal. In the name of Jesus, this is what I want you to do. Be perfectly united. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Three distinct, but kind of overlapping ideas there, aren't there? First of all, agree with one another in what you say, in your speech, and the way you talk about each other and talk to each other. Be united. Secondly, that there be no divisions between you, among you. So in your relationships, no ruptures, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're getting together, you're, you're getting along. And thirdly, you be perfectly united in mind and thought. So both in what you guys are kind of really holding first and foremost in your minds, but also, I guess, in the way that you think about each other. Be united. You're not going home and slagging each other off. When you get home, you're not kind of all about different things, but no, these three things, he pleads to be united. And it's worth saying that his plea is not that they be all the same, but of the same mind. Because that would basically be impossible. Corinth was a really kind of cosmopolitan, multicultural place. It was a port town in Greece, lots of money, trade, commerce, whistling through there, lots of people whistling through there. And so in a church you'll like to have all kinds of different people. Rich, poor, and slave. Sophisticated Africans, maybe some Roman military guys, maybe some kind of smelly Europeans from northern, kind of beyond the border, who've kind of come down to dwell in the Roman Empire. You've got people who are seriously educated, some really smart people, and some people who are not educated, People who are kind of white-collar workers, blue-collar workers. In other words, you've got, you probably have a whole load of people who might be in the same city but probably have nothing to do with each other. Drink in different pubs, eat at different restaurants, hang out in different places. That reminds us of somewhere we know, doesn't it? But it's likely that the church has a complete cross-section of all these kinds of people. People who kind of, in one sense, have no right hanging out with each other but are pulling together. And so unity is not uniformity. There's always a kind of pull if you move into a big group of people to, to over time, you don't want to stand out, I'll dress like them, I'll kind of, I'll be like them. You don't need to do that. That's not what Paul is asking for. He is not asking for us all to look the same, sound the same, be the same. He's asking for unity, not uniformity. In fact, unity is only really possible when you've got really different kinds of people who are all singing from the same hymn sheet. And that's basically what church families are. I think it's great that I'm sure there's ways in which we could be better as a church family, but that's what we are as a church family. Loads of individuals with loads of different stories and backgrounds and influences who love each other, being united in a way that only church can do. And it is one of the supreme witnesses to Jesus being alive. The fact that the church is united but different. It's one of the chief ways. It says, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, that you love each other. 
And if churches don't get along, it looks like Christianity is a lie. And it looks like Jesus is still dead. It's kind of that important. Which is why he goes big at the start. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is my plea. It totally does happen. I don't know if you've ever had someone say to you, look, I, I'm not a Christian, I'm not religious, I'm not, you know, I'm not like you. But what I do appreciate is the way that Christians get on. And there's a camaraderie there. And there's a family. I don't know if people have said that to you. People have said to you, nods or shakes? Encouraging number of nods. <laughs> I get, people say that to me. But for whatever reason, it's not happening in Corinth. That's the, that's, that's the plea. But then that's the problem. It's not happening in Corinth. The plea, be perfectly united. The problem, there are quarrels. Verse 12. No, verse 11. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Now imagine, basically, imagine getting this letter for the first time, being in Corinth, and um, let's say... I know Josh and Ollie, they've really fallen out, let's say. Everyone knows, it's a bit awkward. And then you get this letter. Someone from Chloe's household has told me there's quarrels, and they're kind of, oh, don't look, across the way, look somewhere else. <laughs> I wonder who snitched. It just, you kind of, you know exactly who you mean. It's very awkward. Name it straight away. You've not, they've not fallen out, by the way. Good friends. Um, they just... But it is a particular kind of quarrel. So they, they know exactly who we're talking about. This is a real situation. This is a live situation. But it's a special kind of falling out. So verse 12, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. We kind of love being, you know, fanboys or fangirls, don't we? You know, whether, whoever it is, Swifties. I know we've got a few Swifties in the house. Swifties. I'm a Swiftie. I'm not, but that's what people say, kind of, I'm, I'm after, you know, I'm, I'm all about this person. I'm, this person is so important to me, it's a big part of my identity, you know, I'm swifty, yes, that's what people say. And I was trying to remember some others, maybe other people can help me out. I, there was one back in the day, do you remember Chris Pine, the actor? He kind of was around for a bit, and he sort of, people who really, really fanboyed and fangirled after Chris Pine were called Pine Nuts, I didn't know that, I thought it was quite cool. <laughs> Any others that people could... I was racking my brains. I can't think of any others. Any others that people know of? No. Well, here's one. Here's one. Here's one in here. And this is a bad one. This is a bad one. Um, this is a bad one because... So it's, by the way, morally, you're allowed to be a Swifty. You're allowed to be a Pine Nut. But you're not allowed to do what they're doing in Corinth. Because what they're doing is they're kind of saying, I'm going to take my favourite Christian teacher, which is who these guys are, Paul... Apollos, mentioned in Acts, meant to be absolutely brilliant, knew his Old Testament fantastically, really eloquent, preached brilliantly, they say. Peter, one of Jesus' first disciples. Some even said, well, I follow Christ, which I think Paul is not kind of commending that. It's not like a kind of, like you and I might say, well, I'm a Christian. It's just a kind of, they're trying to one-up the other factions they've got going on in the church. Um, Why go for Paul when you could go for Christ, is the kind of idea. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. That's not good. Now, why is that not good? Because the fact is, labels are helpful. So we've got on our church website, uh, have you seen? We, we say we are a family-friendly, lively, evangelical Church of England church. And you're like, okay, that's a helpful label actually, then, because then I know when I come, well, you're evangelical, so there'll be bits about the Bible and stuff, and 
less likely to have kind of your robes and bits and bobs, although they might be. Anglican, okay, great. They're more likely to be the robes, but yeah, I'd be interested in I should just come and see on a Sunday. I don't know exactly. But you, you know from the thing, okay, Anglicans, they believe these kinds of things. Uh, evangelical, they believe you know, these, they really put stock by God's word. It's just a helpful thing to say. That's not quite what's going on here. For three reasons, this is an actual problem. So I, I, I think labels are okay. But three reasons why this is bad. First of all, they're not using labels to describe. In fact, there's nothing about theology here. They're just kind of pitching up behind a particular person, but they're making it their primary identity. I am someone who follows Apollos. They're not necessarily saying, I'm a Christian, and I love other Christians. They're saying, I'm someone who follows Apollos. And the way I guess that cashes out for us is it's good to say that we're evangelical, for instance, but if we, if we so often say that we're evangelical, that it's our primary identity over being a Christian, we've almost missed the point frankly, of being evangelical. Second reason why that's a bit of a problem, and this one's a bit more straightforward, is that by saying it, they're deliberately trying to make divisions between people. Oh yeah, those people over in their church, they're kind of poor people. Bless them. I'm an Apollos person. They're creating these kinds of divisions. That's what Paul means by quarrels. They're actually having arguments about which one is better, which one is worse. And the third reason why that's a problem is because all of these people, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, uh, and Jesus as well, in the Bible, in the New Testament, we know that all four of them were friends, were colleagues, and considered themselves brothers in what they're doing. (laughs) In other words, they definitely didn't want this kind of faction spreading around the church. They don't know. We're all pulling together. (laughs) That's not how it works. They would be gutted. Well, they are gutted. I mean, Paul is gutted to say they're doing this. That's not how it works. In other words, he's saying, guys, how have you turned Christianity into a reason to kind of quarrel and cause divisions with other Christians? Why are you doing it? But we can be very good at it as humans, can't we? We're just very good at, I guess, falling out with others. And what's true in society at large, I mean, we don't need to convince anybody that we're a polarised place, especially in the Western world at the moment, but across the world. What's true out there, if you like, is, can be true in here. We can bring it in with us. Not yet the finished article. And sometimes we can just fall out really easily. Or create distance, or just avoid people. My pastor used to tell uh, my old one, I didn't leave because I had a quarrel. I just moved geographically, so we're still friends. But I, thought, I was prepping that. I realised I keep mentioning other churches I used to belong to. That's not, not because I'm quarrelling. But he told this joke, which I uh, didn't think was that funny, but told, made the point really well. So here we go. Let's see if you laugh. There's a man on a desert island. He's been there 10 years on his own. No one else is there. And one day he sees a ship in the distance. It's brilliant. Goes out, swims, clams up and down. So grateful to see other people. It's brilliant. And the captain goes, ah, oh, just looks out on the beach. There's three huts on the shoreline. It's okay, three huts that you've got. It's just you here? Yeah. So what are these three huts for? And he says, oh, well, that one, that's where I sleep. And the next one, that's where I go to church. He says, right, what about the other third one? His face fell. He said, oh, that's, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> oh, okay, great. That's good. I've just always remembered that. That's... Apparently, and I would get asked this a lot by kind of, um, especially by Roman Catholics, who'd say, look, Protestants, there are 
there are about 27,000 Christian Protestant denominations. Why do you not get on? I did try to do some fact-checking on the internet on that stat earlier. And some say 35,000 and some say 44,000. So depending on which bit of the internet you look at, there, I mean, there are a lot, basically. No one's saying, oh, yeah, there's like 10. And personally, maybe you've experienced, if you've been a Christian any length of time, or you've seen other Christians, just a kind of, we can be very easy at kind of creating our factions. Maybe you know that. We're like this kind of Christian. Not like that kind of Christian. You don't want to go there. And that can happen on a kind of tribal kind of scale, like a faction thing. It can also happen on a personal level, whether we're gossiping about individuals, writing off other churches, slandering leaders. It kind of shouldn't be that way. Verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? The answer to all those questions is no. We're baptised in the name of Jesus. And Jesus Christ is not divided. He is one. And it's his name in which we've been baptised. It's not about your faction or your favourite human preacher. Verse 14, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. And then I love this bit as a quick aside. This is one of those bits in the New Testament that shows that the New Testament, um, Paul wrote this letter by hand himself, is authentic. Because this is one of those bits of the New Testament you wouldn't put in if you were kind of fabricating the whole thing and making up that a character called Paul was saying this. So he says, I thank God that I didn't baptise any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptised in my name. Then he realised, oh, hang on, verse 50, yeah, I also baptised the household of Stephanus. And then he goes, I'll cover all bases. Beyond that, I don't actually remember if I baptised anyone else, close brackets. But the point is, it's not about me, is what he's saying. It's not about me. And I, if not baptising you means you don't think it's all about me, then that's, I'm actually happy about that. It's never about me, he says. Because it's about somebody else. So what's the solution? We've seen the plea. We've seen the problem. What's the power? What's going to fix these factions? Because it's no good just pointing them out and saying, look, just get on. Just calm down a bit. Never in the history of calm down has anyone calmed down by the words calm down. It just... So here's the power, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Jesus didn't send me to baptise. It's not about me doing the stuff. But I tell someone else's story, he says. I'm preaching the gospel. My job, says Paul, was to be all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Another church that I used to belong to, and then geographically moved away, uh, up in Leyland, was called St. Andrews. There's certainly, there was, it's an old church, there's a stained glass window in there that was 800 years old. And as a result, we were not allowed to play football with the youth group out the back. And the, the Doomsday Book, do you know the Doomsday Book, William the Conqueror, nearly a thousand years ago, records that there's a vicar on that site. So we think the church was there then, but very, very ancient church. 
And there's sort of two things I want to kind of, in our mental picture, draw your attention to. So at the back was a plaque with all the names of previous vicars on it. All these names, and they're all quite impressive, kind of Reverend George Ensor, M.A., Reverend Cannon, David Gibb, M. Phil, you know, just very, very impressively kind of names. But they're up on the balcony, behind some stairs, and kind of no one knows that they're there. No one really knows them. And then at the front, there's an enormous cross depicting the work of Jesus. And that's basically right. That no one really remembers the names at the back. But everyone remembers the names at the front. I think about us as St. Michael's Fullwell. If we have done our job properly at St. Michael's Fullwell and in co-mission in the Church of England, then in a hundred years' time, most of us will be forgotten. But loads more people will know about Jesus. It's not about us. So what is it about? What has the power to prevent factions, to bring people together... What should all Christian teachers and all Christian people be about? Verse 17, preach the gospel. The gospel, by which Paul means the story of Jesus, the good news that Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, didn't wait in heaven, looking down disapprovingly upon us, but he came amongst humanity. He lived a perfect life. He taught brilliant things, and then he died on a cross taking on all the sin of humanity, all the anger of God because of the sin, taking it on himself and destroying it utterly, and then rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, now drawing people to himself and giving to all those who believe in him eternal life and eternal joy. It's all about him. How could it not be? And the thing is, the gospel says several things about you and I. That's the story, the objective reality, but when we come to the gospel, we're kind of told several things that are true about us. First of all, that we are all miserable sinners. No offence. But you and I, we just, we're not as bad as we could be, but basically everything we do is slightly bent towards selfishness, towards people-pleasing, but not towards God-honouring. And human beings, left to our own devices, we just get things wrong, and we sin, and we kind of descend. And that's all of us. But the second thing it says about us is you and I are incredibly loved. That Jesus, knowing that we're sinners, still died for us. Took our sins away. Showed us how worthwhile we are to him. Not because we are good, but because he is good. And thirdly, here's another thing that the gospel says about you and I. Our futures are incredibly bright. This is as bad as it's going to be. Our futures are long and very happy. The gospel has some amazing things to say about you and I. And it has it to say, not just about you and I, but all other Christians who believe this gospel and know this gospel. This morning, Ed was giving a talk on our identity as Christians, and he quoted this guy. This is Tim Keller. And he said, for the Christian, the most important question when it comes to identity is not who am I, but whose am I? 
I thought, I'm going to steal that. Because Christians belong to Jesus. And when we're doing these factions, it's like we forget that. This gospel has the power to unite. But more than that, this gospel basically means that we don't have the right to look down upon anybody else. And we don't have the right to look down on other Christians. They're his. They're precious. Before we say anything else, it's worth saying, the gospel is amazing, isn't it? (laughs) Isn't it brilliant? It's so simple. But it's so deep. And it has a power that nothing else has. I'm going to do something. uh, Now that is a little bit naughty. I'm going to read the first verse from next week's passage. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This message, the message of the cross, there's only one, is unchanging, unalterable. It's God's masterpiece. We just pass it on. We don't mess with it. We keep it the same. Why? Because it has so much power to it that it can take people from death to life, from sin to righteousness, from misery to eternal joy, and it can bring us all together to know him. And this gospel alone, I think, has the power to do this. I think you don't see unity anywhere else in the world like you see it in the church, as in the big church, all those who believe in the gospel. And it's to be preached so you say, verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel in a way that is public for the world to hear. But there is something about when the gospel is kind of preached, if you like, that when it is publicly, regularly told, you know, advice is shared, perspective is offered, but the gospel is preached. When that happens, the Bible says that God, by his power and in his Holy Spirit, he just gathers people together and he brings them spiritually around Jesus. It just, it just happens. He brings people to Jesus. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're sitting there and you're thinking, what if the preacher is rubbish? What if they're just not very good at it? What if, you know, they just, they're getting it right, they're getting the details right, but they're just not that engaging? Because I guess that's a temptation for all of us, not least because I think that's what's behind what's going on with the Corinthians. The reason some of them like Paul... Yeah, he was the OG. He came here. He started the church. But the next guys are like, yeah, but Paulus. I mean, he's really cool. This is a guy called John Calvin. I really like John Calvin. The ears of the Corinthians were tickled with a silly fondness for high-sounding style. That's a funny image, isn't it? It's not about how clever the preacher is or how engaging or witty. It's because the story of Jesus is the power of God. And it just works. This is Calvin again. Hence the eloquence that is suited to the Spirit of God is of such a nature that it does not swell with empty show or spend itself in empty sound, but is solid and efficacious and has more of substance than elegance. If we want to, as a church, give something that this world really needs, that it can actually chew on, that it's actually going to last and make a difference in this world, then the thing we need to be about is preaching the gospel. 
is preach the gospel. The plea, be perfectly united. The problem, quarrels. The power of God is the message of the cross. Now, we often like to say, what, what do we do about this? That's great to hear, in general, what happened back then. What about us? Well, I think, in so many ways, Paul is writing to a church who is having lots of problems. And uh, there's a way in which this part of the Bible, with the letters of the church, you can kind of translate them a bit more easily across to us today. I think it's the same. Know the plea, be perfectly united. don't know whether we're tempted to steer clear of people we don't really like in church. Whether we're tempted to write off other gospel-believing, Jesus-loving churches because of things that just, at the end of the day, are our preference, about singing or architecture or other things. Hear the plea, be perfectly united. I think we also need to feel the problem. Paul is really distressed by this. We think, well, it's not really a problem if people are kind of... No, it is. We need to feel the problem. And thirdly, I think we need to know the power of God. By which I mean belong to a church that preaches the gospel. Now, the reality is, we, by God's grace, we believe we're preaching the gospel as a church family and we really want, you know, as a staff, we'd love to be held to account to that. We must talk over and over about the story of Jesus. That must be what we're about. We're not the only one. Hallelujah. There's, there's loads of churches in this country that are teaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, forming and gathering true Christians around your world. And there's a strong chance that those of us who kind of belong to this part of the world, we may move for whatever reason. Maybe we're young, we're going to head off to university at some point. Maybe a job will take us to a different place. And, you know, that is, that is to be celebrated, really. People are quite mobile now, and that's a great thing. People kind of come here, move on. We... It would be terrible if we, I mean, we'd do the faction thing. If we're like, no, no one leave. Stay here forever. Um, That's not what we're about. We're about head off. But when you do, go to a church that preaches the gospel. There's loads of other things you can look for in a church. But please, 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 on the first Sunday you arrive in town, go to a church that will love you and welcome you by preaching to you the gospel of Jesus because it's the one thing that we really, really need. As I finish, um, my, I won't say who, someone in my house has got into a bit of a habit when I say something more than once, they say, Dad, I know, you said that already. And maybe you kind of excited to come to church, different sound, and you, you kind of think, tell us about Jesus, tell us about us being sinful, Jesus dying on the cross. You might think, I know, you've told us already. Well, yeah. And by God's grace, at St. Michael's, we always will. Why don't we pray? Father God, we give you great thanks and praise for Jesus, who has done so much for us. We thank you for 1 Corinthians, this very, very human letter full of human problems. And we can so see this kind of thing. You don't have to think. This is a a very human reaction to split into factions, to be a bit inward looking, to not 
unite with other Christians. We thank you so much for the solution to so many of our problems, to our deepest needs, the fact that Jesus loves us. Help us to know not necessarily who we are, but whose we are. Amen.